Let us pray. O Lord, you have taught us what you would have us believe and do. Help us, O God, by your Holy Spirit to keep your word in pure hearts, that we thereby may be strengthened in faith, perfected in holiness, and comforted in life and death. Amen. Dear fellow redeemed, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for our meditation this morning is from the 119th Psalm, the 22nd stanza, verses 169 through 176. Please rise. Let my cry draw near your presence, O Lord. According to your word, give me understanding. Let my entreaty come before you. According to your saying, snatch me from danger. My lips shall gush forth with praise, for you teach me your engraved commands. My tongue shall sing of your sayings, for all your commandments are righteousness. Let your hand become my help, for I have chosen your regulations. I desire your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live, and it shall praise you, and let your judgments help me. I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I have not forgotten your commandments. These are your words, Heavenly Father. Sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. In this final stanza of Psalm 119, every line begins with the Hebrew letter Tav, which makes the T sound. Now, for a long time, this letter has been written a certain way, which would be unrecognizable to us in English. But there was a time, for example, in the time of the prophet Ezekiel, when this letter was written in a way that looked closer to the English letter T, or X, depending on the way it was oriented, and sometimes just like a small cross. Think about that shape. The shape of this letter, as you hear what God said to Ezekiel, right in the midst of a huge rejection of the truth, a blending with idolatry and other horrible abuses of God's sanctuary occurring in Jerusalem. At that time, God said, Now the glory of the God of Israel ascended from above the cherub over whom it had been standing and moved to the threshold of the temple building. He called out to a man who was dressed in linen who had the scribe's kit at his waist. The Lord said to him, Go through the city, through Jerusalem, and put a cross mark on the foreheads of those who moan and lament over the abominations being committed in her. And this mark in Hebrew is that top. Ezekiel continues, To the others he said in my hearing, Follow him through the city and strike the people down. Do not let your eyes show pity and do not have compassion. Old men and young men, virgins, little children and women, you are to keep killing until you wipe them out completely. But do not go near anyone who has been marked with the cross. You are to begin at my sanctuary. And that occasion echoes the Passover. Well, the blood of the lamb on the doorposts kept people safe from the angel of death who passed over. Ezekiel is prophesying here how the last day will be much the same as that. But we are safe from that destruction. We don't need to fear that day because God has marked us with the cross, specifically the cross of Christ. God has placed his hand on each and every one of us. 
And by His Word, He has made us His. That Word of God, which has been praised and described throughout this whole psalm, gives us so much. And here we see how it gives us voice, and it gives us God Himself. The first four verses of this stanza share a pattern. The first half of each of those first four verses is all about my voice, my cry, my entreaty, my lips, my tongue. And the second half of each of those verses is a reminder of God's voice, your word, your saying, your engraved commands, your commandments. But then even within that pattern, there's a subtle variation. Look at what my voice is doing in the first two verses. Let my cry draw near your presence, O Lord, according to your word, give me understanding. Let my entreaty come before you according to your saying, snatch me from danger. With our voices there, we beg for God to hear us and to save us, and we ask for salvation to come from Him through His word, His voice. So our voice, in other words, is singing to God to ask for His voice. And then in the next two verses, there's a shift. My lips shall gush forth with praise, for you teach me your engraved commands. My tongue shall sing of your sayings, for all your commandments are righteousness. So there we use our voices to praise God because of the voice that he gives. Our voice, in other words, sings to God and to others to praise his voice. That right there just shows a bit of a summary of the first 21 stanzas of this psalm. One way that this shows is in the verse that says to God, You teach me your engraved commands. You can count through this psalm that seven times we have asked God to teach us his engraved commands. And now, at the end of this psalm, we gush forth with praise because he does teach us those engraved commands. We see that prayer has been answered. And this is important because we are recognizing what trouble we're in. Through our words in this psalm, we recognize the need that we have. This psalm, as it comes to its summation here at the end, acknowledges the state of the world as it is. It just tells the truth. The world was designed to be in perfect harmony with God. God came walking around in the garden during the cooler part of the day so that we get the impression He was simply enjoying His creation. He was looking for a conversation with Adam and Eve, a pleasant enjoyment of their company. But already at that time, that relationship had been broken. No, it is your guilt that has separated you from your God and your sins have hidden God's face from you so that He does not hear Isaiah said those words for all of us to hear. We are moved, therefore, to confess with King David against you. You only have I sinned and done this evil in your eyes. So you are justified when you sentence me. You are blameless when you judge. It would be absolutely right for God to cut us off from life, to consign us to the grave, and to leave us because by our sin we have destroyed the relationship that He wished to have with us. But from the beginning, God has been chasing after us. We cut ourselves off from Him by our sin, but God pursues us, still seeking us. 
When he walked around in that garden during the cooler part of the day, the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? If God hadn't called to us first, we would have no right to ask, Let my cry draw near your presence, O Lord. If God hadn't promised to help us understand him, to teach us about himself, we would not be able to say, according to your word, give me understanding. If he hadn't promised to send a deliverer to bring us out of the pit of sin and death into which we had fallen, we could never pray, let my entreaty come before you, according to your saying, snatch me from danger. But look throughout the history how God has dealt with mankind. He spoke to Abraham, the son of an idol maker, and called him out with a promise. When Abraham's descendants lived in bondage in Egypt, God said to Moses, I have certainly seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I have heard their cry for help because of their slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to deliver them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and spacious land to a land flowing with milk and honey. And then when the people suffered the oppression of an enemy, or exile, or siege, or plague, God listens to their cry. He gave them deliverance. And this is nowhere more true than when He sent His own Son into our miserable state. That deliverer who was promised at the beginning, the Son of God, the Word of God became flesh came into our flesh. So God and His Word are no longer distant and far away from us. God's Word instead says, The Word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. It is the Word of faith that we are proclaiming. Because God gives you His Word again and again, comes to you in His Word again and again, and because He chases after you with His grace, He gives you a voice. In baptism, you were marked with a cross on your forehead and on your heart. And that gave you life and a voice to cry out to God with all your woes and to sing out with all your praises. In our services, that cross marks you again and again. We come to speak to God because of that cross, because of His Word, He hears what we have to say. But more than just that voice, God's Word gives us God Himself. As we live in this earthly life, we're constantly facing difficulty and trial. Jesus warned, whoever does not take up His cross and follow Me is not worthy of Me. And the apostles began to live that reality very quickly after Jesus ascended into heaven and sent the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. They preached boldly, and they faced opposition wherever they went, beatings, imprisonments, even death. But throughout all of it, we see that they were rejoicing, that they were considered worthy to suffer for the sake of the name of Jesus. That doesn't mean that suffering was ever fun or even easy. It doesn't mean that it will be easy for us. But it does mean that we have help in all our trials. 
We have Jesus walking with us with our crosses. I desire your salvation, O Lord, we say, and your law is my delight. We're still in trouble. We're still sinners. We have salvation already through the Word, but we don't have it in its fulfillment. Right now, in this present moment, we are awaiting in faith until the end, until Jesus comes again. Through faith, says St. Peter, you are being protected by God's power for the salvation that is ready to be revealed at the end of time. Because of this, you rejoice very much, even though now, for a little while if necessary, you have been grieved by various kinds of trials. That's why we love God's law. His word gives us the salvation that we don't fully have yet. So we're constantly praying for life in the midst of death. Let my soul live and it shall praise you, and let your judgments help me. If God lets our souls live, understand, this means that our entire being will be devoted to the praise of God. That's what God's design for creation was in the first place. The perfect harmony of creator and creation is both a perfect harmony of love and a harmony of providence and praise. That We're ecstatic to be together with God. God's work to make this happen was joining himself to our race. When Jesus took on our flesh, took on our sin, and took on our death, he also gave us his life. He gave us his holiness. We live in this because of God's judgments, declaring his son guilty on the cross in our place. And there also declaring the whole world righteous in him. So your soul is therefore made to live, and my soul is made to live when God's word is declared to us, when we hear those judgments, and when we hear that Jesus' sacrifice was for us, the Holy Spirit creates faith in our hearts to believe it, and with that, he also creates eternal life. But then we confess in the final verse of this psalm, I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I have not forgotten your commandments. There's a duality that's confessed here in this last verse. I have not forgotten your commandments. That means that I've had faith, and I haven't lost that faith. I am still in faith. God's word is always on my heart. That cross, that image of Jesus is imprinted on my heart. On the other hand, I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant. This means that I'm a sinner. I have gone away from God's word into sin, into my own ideas, into my own stupidity like a sheep, into the jaws of predators and the traps of cliffs and brambles and rushing water. I've willfully gone that direction. But both of these things are true at the same time. Our Lutheran fathers called this state simul justus et peccator, and that Latin means simultaneously saint 
and sinner. That's the reality of every Christian in this life. As long as we live in this life, we are sinners. We've inherited that from Adam, and we continue to sin every single day. That doesn't mean that we can't work harder at it and try to do better, but it does mean that every day we are going to fail. We are going to rebel against God every day in thought, word, and deed. But because of the work of Jesus, because of the word of God, and because of the faith which he gives us, we are also saints. We stand righteous before God, and he considers us totally innocent of every single sin. A similar passage from Isaiah says, We all have gone astray like sheep. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has charged all our guilt to him. That's how God has solved the problem of sin. And how God has upheld both his love to keep us close to him and his justice that must punish transgression. And so because of our twin reality, our life, simultaneously saints and sinners. We live lives of daily repentance. That's something that's signaled here at the end of 176 verses about the Word of God. This Word gives us the blessing of Jesus. It gives us life, salvation, and forgiveness. And when we read that Word, we receive all that again and again. The Word brings us through every difficulty and every danger. In this Word, we regularly see our Savior and we see our sin and we see God offering the solution to our sin in Jesus. So when we reach that final verse of Psalm 119, I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I have not forgotten your commandments. What makes the most sense to do after finishing that last verse, is to start again with the first verse. Oh, the blessedness of those who are whole in the way, who walk in the law of the Lord. See, we're never done studying the Word of God. We've never plumbed the depths of all the blessings God gives to us in that Word. But it's a cycle of repentance and forgiveness. We turn to God again and again, where God is to be found. And he's made himself able to be found in his word, because right there, in that word, he gives us himself. So this is a cycle that we repeat again and again, like a wheel spinning around. But if you know anything about the invention of the wheel, they aren't really meant to just stay in place. They're meant to move. This cycle of our ongoing life causes us also to move forward as we head towards the last day when Jesus comes again in glory. Psalm 119 depicts that cycle of Christian life, moving on through suffering and through God's word, through repentance and forgiveness until glory, as it also depicts what's called the great exchange. We began this stanza looking at my voice and God's voice. And the last verse doesn't say anything about what is mine. Nothing about my voice or my things. Instead, we simply 
identify ourselves in that last verse as your servant. God's word makes us completely his. It also makes everything that is his our own possession. Jesus took us. He took our sin. We're given his glory. As we are now God's own possession, we can read this psalm again and again, and we can read all of God's word again and again in the comfort of our new identity that we are now in forgiveness. And while we're still waiting for it, we are still in the glory of Christ. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen.